Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here. Uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, today is the day in the Christian calendar where we celebrate and recognize Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Uh, today we continue that tradition by looking at how Jesus prepared to enter into Jerusalem and what that meant for the people uh, as he brought to them good news of a new way of living. We drew from John chapter 12 verses 1 through 19. Check it out here. During this season of Lent, these 40 days, not counting Sundays that fall immediately before Easter, we've been journeying with the theme again and again. It's based on the curriculum from a sanctified art. And I've been thinking about my grandmother lately. My grandmother, she died last summer, but as she was growing older, uh, she lived with Alzheimer's that worsened and worsened. And at first, she would tell us stories again and again and again, forgetting that she had just laughed at the same story a few moments ago. And then she would ask the same questions again and again, not realizing that we had just answered. And when the Alzheimer's really took hold, we found ourselves introducing ourselves again and again, trying to will her to remember her identity and to remember ours. Harmony, it's me, your grandson. Harmony, this is your great-grandson. We're visiting from Seattle. Harmony, we're here. Harmony, it's us. And as frustrating as it was at times in the moment, I, I remember those times now with love, that, that twinkle in her eye when she would get it, and then the nod and the forced smile that she would give when she didn't. And it was because of that love that we sat through her stories again and again. It was because of that love that we introduced ourselves again and again again and again. We started this journey in Mark's gospel looking at the baptism of Jesus and his time in the wilderness, reminded again and again that God is present, that we are beloved. And we continued in Mark's gospel to see how denying ourselves might mean to accept the invitation into community, to remember that our journey is not alone, but with God and with one another. And then we shifted to John's gospel, challenged by Jesus who overturned tables and drove everyone out of the temple. We asked how Jesus might be inviting us to dismantle the systems that lead to corruption and exploitation, to dismantle even our faith that perpetuates injustices. And then we met Nicodemus whose story challenged us to change the ways we see the world. Last week, Pastor Kristen called us into reformation. She called us into the act of letting things fall so that life can grow. Today, we're nearing the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, and the Passover is near, six days away. And Jesus comes to Bethany. He comes to the home of Lazarus, and they eat a meal. Just a chapter before, in John 11, Jesus performs his last public act, his last sign. He raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, and already we know that things are reaching a boiling point between Jesus and his disciples and this new way of living versus the religious hierarchy, the institutions that now want to kill him. 
they gather. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the council, they gather and they ask, what do we do? This, this man is performing signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. That's from John 11. And they say from that day on, they plan to put him to death. Take note what it is that they fear. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. Their fear is that the Romans will come and destroy their way of life, their clean-cut world, marked by order and by hierarchy, by power over one another, by oppression. That world is in jeopardy, and that is what scares them. And they're not wrong. It's significant that our text begins so close to Passover, to the festival of unleavened bread. Passover is a time when Jews from every nation would gather together in Jerusalem to worship at the temple, to remember and to celebrate their freedom from slavery. Remember way back in Exodus that the story starts with the Israelites enslaved in Egypt and God delivers them working through Moses and bringing forth ten plagues And the last plague was the death of the firstborn, where the angel of the Lord passed through the night, passing over the homes with doorposts that were marked. And so as Jesus prepares to enter into Jerusalem, the city is preparing to celebrate Passover, this festival of unleavened bread, the reminder of God's deliverance from slavery. And this is all happening under Roman rule. Can you imagine that tension? To celebrate on one hand, to commemorate the Jewish people's deliverance and liberation from an earlier empire while currently living under the oppression of the empire of today. What our text doesn't tell us is that while Jesus was riding a donkey into Jerusalem, another procession is happening right around the same time. It's it's from the west in Caesarea. And the Roman governor of the region, Pontius Pilate, is also making his way into Jerusalem. He's riding at the head of a magnificent display of power. Theologian Marcus Borg and John Dominic Cross, and they invite us to imagine the imperial procession's arrival in the city, and they describe it this way. A visual array of imperial power. Cavalry on horses. Foot soldiers. Leather armor. Helmets. Weapons. Banners. Golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glistening on metal and gold, and the sounds, the marching of feet, the cracking of leather, the the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, and the eyes of the silent onlookers, some curious, some odd, most resentful. 
the empire had arrived. It was standard practice for the Roman governors of the region to be in Jerusalem for these major Jewish festivals. They, they came not to show respect for the religious devotion of their Jewish subjects. No, they, they were present to keep order, to minimize trouble, to be a visible and tangible reminder of who is in power and who is in control. And this is why the high priests and the council and the uh, Pharisees, this is why they are afraid. The literal embodiment of power and control is marching into Jerusalem, ready to squash any sign of threats, of rebellion, of hope, of life, ready to keep Pax Romana, Roman peace. I remind us that Dr. King was assassinated on April 4th, 1968. And as we think and remember his life and legacy, I Remember that time when he wrote about an influential white citizen of Montgomery who approached him, who, who lamented the disruption and destruction of what was once their peaceful town. And the white citizen said that over the years we've had such a peaceful and harmonious relationship between the races here. Why have you and your associates come in to destroy this long tradition? And Dr. King writes that his response was simple. He said, sir, you have never had real peace in Montgomery. True peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. The tension we see in Montgomery today is the necessary tension that comes when the oppressed rise up and start to move forward toward a permanent positive peace, which is the presence of justice of love, even the kingdom of God. So while Rome marches in from the west, from the east, riding on his colts, his donkey, Jesus enters into Jerusalem with his followers. And Jesus enters in with the crowd who gathers with shouts of praise, with loud, joyful voices, with the words flowing from their lips, Hosanna, Lord, help us. Hosanna, may the Lord be praised. Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And we'll talk more about uh, what the people actually expected more throughout this week and on Easter, what they expected in Jesus and this king of Israel as they shouted these words. But for now, let's just note this contrast. There's two marches. There's one from the east and one from the west. There's one that's greeted with shouts of joy and praise and one that incited silence and obedience. One that is simple and humble and one that displayed power and might. One that embodied power and glory and violence of the empire that ruled the world. One that embodied an alternative vision, the kingdom of God. And those living in the first century, Jerusalem had to make 
a choice to fall in line with the empire or to be part of something new. And it it appears that we too have that choice to fall in line with empire or to be part of something new. I don't know about you, but I'm choosing something new. I'm tired of war and conquest, of territories and a territorial mindset. I'm tired of having to jockey for position and power to compare myself with and against my neighbor. I'm tired of doing things the way they've always been done, especially when the way they've always been done leads to oppression and injustice and scarcity and death. I'm tired of power. I'm tired of the pursuit of power. I want something new. Do you know what that looks like? Do you know what that feels like? Go back with me to verse 1 of our text this morning, six days before the Passover. Six days before the Passover, Rome was getting ready to march. They were getting ready with their foot soldiers, their cavalry. They called up their military. They lined them up. They sharpened swords. They shined their armor. They were preparing to get into formation, preparing to march, preparing for the possibility of conflict and war and death. Six days before the Passover, Jesus is back at the house of the man he has just raised from the dead. He's showing the world that he came to give life and life abundantly. He's sitting with his friends at the table. They're eating together, laughing together, spilling drinks, looking for napkins. Jesus is passing plates. He's reaching over his friends to get seconds and thirds. They're telling stories. They're they're simply being. And while he is preparing for his inevitable execution at the hands of empire, he simply reminds them, we can do this together. We can do life together. We can not fear death. We can do life together and do it well. We can eat together and laugh together, cry together. We can dream together. We can be beloved community together here, now, without Roman oppression, Without the religious systems that create injustice and oppression and power over one another, we can do this life together. We can do love together. This is the new way. This can be our new way. This must be our new way. And so I pray that as we enter into this holiest of weeks, that rather than being passive observers of what is to come, 
that we might have the boldness to resist every day and every moment the temptations of empire, that we might challenge the powers that lead to death, and that together we may live fully into the abundance of life. Amen? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this time together of worship where we come as community, online and in person, remembering that your entry into Jerusalem was a call to action, was a call for something new. And so make us bold. Inspire us to be your people. Lead us towards a life of faithfulness to you and to that new way. For it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was our Palm Sunday sermon. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am yearning for that something new. Uh, With all the brokenness and pain and violence and war that is happening in our world and in the communities around us, I'm desperate for that new thing that Jesus offers and that Jesus invites us into. And so I hope that this week for you, as we enter into the Holy Week with all of Um, the experiences that we will encounter through Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, eventually to Easter itself, that this might be a week where you will uh, commune with the holy and that you will find relationship with your community uh, as we live into that new way. Uh, Talk to you next Sunday as we celebrate Easter together. Talk to you soon.